Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and this is episode number 358. Today's show is brought to you by Autoslack. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living author interview series, we are joined today by historian, best-selling, award-winning author, Dr. John Rogasta. Dr. John Rogasta will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates program June 17th, 2019, and the title of his presentation is Jefferson and the Meaning of Religious Freedom. For 200 years, Thomas Jefferson and his statute for establishing religious freedom have stood at the center of our understanding of religious liberty and the First Amendment. Jefferson's expansive vision, including his insistence that political freedom and free thought would be at risk if we did not establish a strict separation of church and state, enjoyed a near consensus of support at the Supreme Court level and among historians until 1985 when Justice William Rehnquist called the reliance on Jefferson demonstrably incorrect as a matter of history. But the statute for establishing religious freedom is quite powerful, persuasive, and even, as Dr. Rogasta points out, poetic. Let's listen as Dr. Rogasta reads briefly from Jefferson's statute about why Jefferson felt that freedom of religion is so essential to establishing a functioning American Republic. Jefferson's statute for establishing religious freedom is Jefferson at his best, sometimes his most poetic. Almighty God hath created the mind free. All attempts to influence it by temporal punishments or burdens or by civil incapacitations tend only to beget habits of hypocrisy and meanness. To compel a man to furnish contributions of money for the propagation of opinions which he disbelieves is sinful and tyrannical. Our civil rights have no dependence on our religious opinions any more than our opinions in physics or geometry. The opinions of men are not the objects of civil government or under its jurisdiction. To suffer the civil magistrate to intrude his powers into the field of opinion on supposition of their ill tendency destroys all religious liberty. That it is time enough for the rightful purposes of civil government for its officers to interfere when principle breaks out into overt acts against peace and good order. And finally, Truth is great and will prevail if left to herself, that she is the proper and sufficient antagonist to error and has nothing to fear from the conflict unless by human interposition, disarmed of her natural weapons, free argument and debate. Error is ceasing to be dangerous when it is permitted freely to contradict them. And this is really Thomas Jefferson at his best in explaining why he thought religious freedom was so central to having a functioning American Republic. Of course, that was our guest today, Dr. John Ragasta, reading from Thomas Jefferson's Statute for Establishing Religious Freedom, which is in his new book, Religious Freedom, Jefferson's Legacy, America's Creed. Join me in a thought-provoking discussion with Dr. John Ragasta to answer an ages-old U.S. constitutional question who is correct in understanding religious freedom today and the separation of church and state. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone author, John Rogasta. John Rogasta, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to the program. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. It's great to talk to you. I think this is going to be a fascinating subject, one that I know our audience is going to be very interested in, and I want to get to this very quickly with you because I know you're very busy, but tell us briefly about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. 
Well, we're going to be talking about the meaning of religious freedom, uh, and in particular, the historic meaning of religious freedom. Because, you know, if you asked Americans today or in 1788, do you support American religious freedom? Almost everyone would say, of course, we support American religious freedom. But what they mean by religious freedom may vary very substantially. And so historically, the Supreme Court has turned to Thomas Jefferson and said his meaning of religious freedom, which is very robust, includes a wall separation between church and state, that's American religious freedom. And that's the topic that I'm going to be taking on. Good. Well, let's let's dive into that just a little bit because Jefferson is um, very much synonymous with this idea of religious freedom, so much so that he's written famously the statute for establishing religious freedom. Tell us about that. What What is that exactly? Well, the Virginia statute for establishing religious freedom, which really becomes the foundation in many respects of the First Amendment. We're, we're all much more familiar with the First Amendment and Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. But the Virginia statute is the foundation. Um, during the American Revolution, uh, you know, we have the development of religious freedom. That's a complicated issue. But at the end of the war, people are really debating this question of what does religious freedom mean? And there was a proposal in Virginia in 1784, led by Patrick Henry, Richard Henry Lee, other supporters, that said what we will do is we can no longer have an established religion where you know, Episcopalian religion, the, the Church of England was the established church in Virginia before the revolution. Well, that's a bad idea. But instead, we'll have a tax to support religion and we'll tax everybody in the state, but we'll let them designate. Gee, Paul, do you want your money to go to the Presbyterians or the Methodists or the Baptists or the Catholics? You just tell us and we'll ask everyone. And that's fair, right? Um, and so this idea of non-discriminatory support for religion uh, by the government was an idea being advanced in the mid-1780s. And Thomas Jefferson, James Madison hated it. Uh, they said, no, government needs to keep out of religion. And they're supported in that, remarkably, from a modern perspective, the devout evangelicals, the Baptists and the Presbyterians, who are, are very devout, support Jefferson and Madison and say, no, we don't want government interfering in religion. We want the Virginia statute for establishing religious freedom, which clearly is, you know, makes this separation of church and state. Uh, the concern was if you mix church and state, you corrupt both. And so we want to keep them separate for theological reasons, for political reasons, for philosophical reasons. And we get this remarkable document, and it's, it's Jefferson at his best. Uh, it's very poetic, uh, the way he lays out the need for religious freedom. Um, and that, as I said, about five years later becomes the basis of the First Amendment. And we know much about the First Amendment, of course, as, as you say. But so important to Jefferson is the Virginia statute for establishing religious freedom that he puts it on his gravesite headstone. If he's so proud of this accomplishment, why is it that so few of us, so few Americans have even heard of this Virginia statute for establishing religious freedom? Well, that's a good question, Paul. Um, let's start with the first part of that, which is Jefferson. Now, you know, you're Thomas Jefferson. You've been president of the United States. You've been vice president. You've been a member of Congress. You've been ambassador to Spain. You're a devoted son, a loving father, you're a scientist, you're a farmer. And he says, I don't want any of that on my tombstone. 
He says, do not put, in fact, he's very emphatic, do not put any of that on my tombstone. He says, what I want my tombstone to list is the Declaration of Independence, the Statute of Virginia for Establishing Religious Freedom, and founding of the University of Virginia. Political freedom, religious freedom, and educational opportunity. Well, why does Jefferson say this is so critical? Well, this is how you have a functioning republic. You can't have a republic. You can't have a democracy unless you have political freedom, religious freedom, and educational opportunity. And, and so Jefferson's really dedicated to this. And in some ways, the religious freedom is critical because he says we have to have thinking citizens who are able to think for themselves and at times challenge the government challenge themselves, and if the government is telling you what to believe, which is interfering with your religious freedom, that is the, the you know opposite of um, a thinking, functioning republic. So he says this is really critical. These three things, and we're all familiar with the Declaration of Independence, of course, but he says we really need a three-legged stool if the country's going to work, political freedom, religious freedom, and education. Now, why is it less... Um, are we less familiar? Well, to some extent, the First Amendment's easier. You know, it's only a f short thing. You know, Congress shall make no law respecting establishment religion uh, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Um, but to some extent, for 200 years, there have been people who've tried to hide Jefferson's vision, um, including some religious people back in the early 19th century and including some conservative Supreme Court justices today who would like to go back to this idea that no, religious freedom means the government can support religion, it just needs to do so in a non-discriminatory manner. Or you even have some justices saying, well, it needs to not discriminate against Judeo-Christian religions, but they can discriminate against Hindu, Muslim, uh, or other religions. Um, and so if you want to go back to that idea of limited religious freedom, a, a combination of church and state, you have to get rid of Jefferson you have to say Jefferson's unimportant. And that really was the uh, genesis of this book that I wrote on religious freedom. Hi, it's Paul. We'll be right back with historian and award-winning author, John Rogoff. Oh boy, listen to those waves. Here we are in June, and the idea of vacationing by the beach is already on my mind. And I know, just like me, you've probably got summer vacation travel coming up or other travel plan that may involve a car rental. Car rental has turned into a major annual chore for summer vacations with bewildering arrays of deals that appear cheaper but can leave unwary Not Old Better Show audience with large bills later on. Today's sponsor, Auto Slash, finds deals, coupons, and other discounts at the biggest car rental companies to save you cash. Auto Slash applies every coupon code you're eligible for, including publicly available codes and special membership-only codes if you indicate you're a member of Costco, AAA, or other memberships like frequent flyer programs. Auto Slash is free to use, and Auto Slash will compare prices across other rental sites rather than just vehicles that are in stock. Once you add your reservation number into the Auto Slash tracker, Auto Slash will keep on looking for better deals right up until you pick up your car. That is awesome, but 
Here's the big difference, in my opinion. The free rates, again, the free rates from Autoslash, those offers can be booked directly through the Autoslash website, and they save you even more money off of the rental car. The website literally walks you through how to get a quote, track your quote, and when you complete the process, you let Autoslash know the best email address to send you your rental information in less than 15 minutes, possibly are saving an average of 30%. That's 30% savings. Whether or not Autoslash is better than a car rental website is for you to decide, but Autoslash has received outstanding reviews. And I will tell you this, the Autoslash Facebook page, they have a 4.9 out of 5 average rating based on hundreds of ratings. A vast number of the review comments indicate that Autoslash took minutes to finish its low price search compared to the hours it took consumers to attempt all this on their own. There are many similarities and differences between Autoslash and traditional rental sites. However, with the possibility to save money, Autoslash is definitely worth trying, especially this summer when you're traveling the most. Autoslash.com. And now, back to historian, award-winning author, John Rogosta. We are with award-winning author, Dr. John Rogasta. Dr. John Rogasta is going to be at the Smithsonian Associate Presentation Monday, June 17th on the subject of Jefferson and the Meaning of Religious Freedom. He'll be drawing from his book entitled Religious Freedom, Jefferson's Legacy, America's Creed. Dr. Rogasta, thanks so much again for your time. You referred to this idea of limited religious freedom and Jefferson's intention was to really protect everyone with the act, and he even went so far as to name Jew, Gentile, Christian, Hindu, and infidel. So this inclusive representation with these various sects, this is especially important today, very meaningful. And I wonder if you'd talk a little bit about this idea of free thought, which was so important to Jefferson and, and so relevant today. Right, Paul, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, Jefferson, here he is back in the uh, 18th century, and he says, no, religious freedom applies to Jew, Gentile, Christian, Hindu, Mohammedan, he's talking about Muslims, infidels. Um, you know, you sometimes hear people today, uh, again, often uh, from one side of the political spectrum, saying, well, all of that's a modern 20th century Supreme Court invention, you know, that this was a Christian nation. Well, here's Jefferson saying, no, it, it needs to protect all people. And he really, you know, now in the 18th century, when he's saying this, we do not have a lot of Hindus in Virginia. We do not have a lot of Jews in Virginia. We don't have a lot of Muslims, if you exclude the enslaved community, and he wasn't talking about them. Many of the enslaved were Muslim. But um, he recognizes that America is going to become a nation of nations. He recognizes we're going to be immensely diverse, ethnically, religiously, and in a republic, to make that kind of a system work, you have to have universal liberty. You have to have universal freedom. He actually says at one point, and you have to think about this for a moment, get your mind working, divided we stand, united we fall when it comes to religion. So he says it's very important in America, a diverse community, um, that we we have different opinions and we don't let anybody take control of the government and impose their views on us in religion. So, um, and yes, this, this has very modern uh, implications, but again, it's exactly what he was talking about uh, in the 18th century because he and James Madison, I should mention, Madison's very much of the same mind um, that, you know, one religion is where we get in trouble. 
So if you know you start talking about this is a Christian nation as if that somehow has has political or official significance. Now of course in 18th century most people would have said they're Christian. Most Americans would say today they're Christian. That's not what Jefferson was talking about. What he's saying is there's no government official religion. Government cannot interfere in religion. And as a matter of fact, in your book, your, your excellent book, by the way, uh, getting great reviews, Religious Freedom, Jefferson's Legacy, America's Creed, you refer to this idea of not to impose on us as a people in, in a nation and asking even this question, who should define religious freedom? And it, it's really at this point where William Ren- Rehnquist and the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court comes into the picture and states that Jefferson's status as this uh, preeminent early voice on religious freedom in America is really perhaps in quotes, demonstrably incorrect. So who is correct, Rehnquist or Jefferson, in understanding uh, the religious freedom today that that we're practicing and this importance of separation of church and state? Well, you know, Rehnquist uh, brings this up in the uh, Wallace versus Jaffrey case in 1985, which is the moment of silence case from Alabama. Very interesting case. We could talk about that. But he has a problem that if you want to get over the wall of separation, uh, and if you want to turn to the founders and say, well, we care what the founders said about religious freedom, we care what the founders intended by religious freedom, you have to get past Jefferson. So Rehnquist, by the way, asks a very good question. Why is it for 150 years the Supreme Court always turned to Jefferson? In fact, in the first Supreme Court case, Reynolds versus United States, 1879, first Supreme Court case dealing with the Establishment Clause of the First uh, Amendment. And the court unanimously says Thomas Jefferson defined, that's their word, defined American religious freedom. So if you're Rehnquist, and now he's been joined by Scalia and Thomas, probably Kavanaugh, given some of his earlier opinions, if you want to get past that wall of separation, you have to get past Jefferson. And so they looked at a number of issues in in Wallace versus Jaffrey and in some more recent cases and said, well, 12 of the 13 states at the time of the First Amendment still had some form of establishment. Um, Many people uh, thought this was a Christian nation. What about other founders? You know, Alexander Hamilton is suddenly a very popular founder. You know, what about his views on religious freedom? Why should we look at Jefferson? And so what I did, I mean, again, I think it's a very legitimate question. And I went back and looked at it from a historic perspective and said, you know, I, I looked I looked at the states. I looked at state constitutional conventions. I looked at textbooks. I looked at newspapers. What were people reading about religious freedom? Uh, I even found pamphlets being used in Europe to, to encourage people to immigrate to the United States talking about religious freedom. How did they define religious freedom in the end of the 18th century and the early 19th century? What was the principle? And we didn't always live up to the principle in the 18th century the way we don't always live up to the principle today, but they consistently went back to Jefferson. Um, In fact, in these pamphlets trying to encourage people to immigrate, you would sometimes say, come to America, we have religious freedom, and they would reprint the entire Virginia statute for establishing religious freedom, which is, you know, it's a page and a half long. It's a long document. Um, They wouldn't reprint the First Amendment. 
they'd reprint Jefferson's statute and said, this is American religious freedom. So, you know, we have to decide for ourselves. Jefferson would be the first person to say, um, you know, the dead hand of the past shouldn't control. We need to decide as Americans what we want as religious freedom. And we're having that debate very actively now. But frankly, Rehnquist is wrong that if you want to ask the historic question, uh, it was Jeffersonian, it was Madisonian, it was a strict separation of church and state, was viewed as very fundamental to the notion of American religious freedom. Well, Dr. Rogasto, let's talk a little bit about the evangelicals because you, you say Jefferson and Madison in the 18th century uh, broadly shared some of these opinions, but let's maybe fast forward to today and get, get some conversation between us about the, uh, about the evangelicals and where they might stand on this subject. Well, that, that's particularly fascinating, Paul. I mean, we tend to forget that before the American Revolution, we had established churches in most of the colonies. And Virginia, which was the largest colony by size, by wealth, by population, had a strongly established Anglican church, the Church of England is the official church, um, which meant that everybody in Virginia paid a tax to support the Anglican minister. If you're Baptist, you pay a tax to support the Anglican. You're Presbyterian, you're Quaker, you pay a tax to support the Anglicans. And historians used to say that, yes, but it was very mild, you paid a small tax, and that was pretty much the end of it. In fact, this was often the largest tax that anybody paid in the counties of Virginia. And starting in the 1760s, the government started outright discrimination and persecution of these religious dissenters. Um, there are cases where Baptist ministers are chased with foxhounds. There are cases where these dissenters would be having a prayer meeting and a hornet's nest would be thrown into the church or a snake would be thrown into the church. Um, so this is very aggressive. Over half of the Baptist ministers in Virginia before the American Revolution spend jail time for preaching without a license or disturbing the peace. So this is a very strong establishment, the Anglican Church, the Church of England. And it's critical that these people, devout Christians, devout religious people, were as adamant as Jefferson and Madison that we have to have strict religious freedom and separation of church and state. These are people who had suffered politically for their religious beliefs. They had suffered theologically for their religious beliefs because they believed your relationship with God was a personal relationship and the government needed to stay out. Uh, John Leland, he's a famous Baptist preacher, he, wonderful, uh, says wonderful things. He says, if the government can come with me to the judgment seat, in other words, when I'm dead and I have to stand in front of my maker, if the government can come with me to the judgment seat, then the government can involve itself in religion. If they can't, they need to stay out of religion. You know, so, you know, these, these evangelicals, and we have a very different view today uh, of evangelicals, and, and there's a lot of history behind that. Some of that starts with Brown versus Board of Education in the 1950s, and suddenly evangelicals think that maybe uh, government should be supporting Christian schools, uh, which were really and often, often discriminatory. But in the 18th century, it was these evangelicals who came to the political defense of Jefferson and Madison and insisted that we have uh, religious freedom, including a strict separation of church and state. Dr. John Rogasta has joined us today. Thank you so much for your time, uh, John Rogasta. We really appreciate it. It's been very generous. This is a fascinating subject, one that uh, you'll go into some, some detail 
on uh, at the Smithsonian Associates presentation coming up uh, June 17th. Of course, uh, Dr. Ragasta's book, Religious Freedom, Jefferson's Legacy, America's Creed, will be available for sale and signing following the presentation. But uh, Dr. Ragasta, thank you so much for your time today. This is really helpful and uh, an important subject. Thank you, Paul. Look forward to having a chance to speak with folks uh, on June 17th. We might even talk about wedding cakes. <laughs> good. Good. Well, thanks for that. I, I, uh, I'll look forward to that personally. Thank you. Thanks to Autoslash for sponsoring the show today. And thanks to Dr. John Ragasta, who will be appearing at the Smithsonian Associates Program June 17th. The title of his presentation is Jefferson and the Meaning of Religious Freedom at the Ripley Center in Washington, D.C. More details available on our website. Thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. And thanks to you, our wonderful Not Old Better Show audience. The Not Old Better Show. Talk about better. Thanks, everybody. 